Hi, my name is Sokuren, and I am one of Sokuzan's monks. Sokuzan so freely offers his love to us and his wisdom through these talks, and never asks us for anything in return. If you value what he does and what he is, and want them to continue, please visit our donate page at sokukoji.org. Thank you. This evening's uh, Dharma talk is titled uh, Produce the Vow. Produce. Want to produce something? Produce that. <coughs> produce the vow. Before I talk a little bit about receiving and producing, which is uh, what this uh, talk title is referring to, how much we receive and how much we produce, I want to ask you to help us continue this. This seems valuable to you, which probably does. It wouldn't be here. Help us out if you can. Go to the website and the donate area there and do that if you can. So produce. We're always producing all kinds of things, thoughts and emotions and opinions and judgments and constantly planning things. Well, if you consider yourself a student of the Buddha's Dharma, whether you're studying this situation or in other ways, reading other books on the Dharma, so on, what's being recommended is that you produce the vow. Even if you haven't done this formally, the basic vow of the Bodhisattva or the enlightening being, as translated by Thomas Cleary, I believe, Bodhisattva, one who is enlightening him or herself and others. How you do that would be uh, it would be up to you. Some people might do prostrations. Some some might uh, return to that in other ways. Might look at uh, a picture of the teacher. It's a possibility. I'm not requiring that of anyone. That's up to you. But you may need to do something, produce something, just like uh, 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 this evening, earlier today, we had a Jukai ceremony. Kodo is a public name of uh, the person formerly known as Yume. What did Yume mean? Child. Child? So now you've grown up. Good. Oh, do, huh? Something else? So, uh, Odo, Odo means uh, ancient path. So, totally appropriate for Odo. We're in a culture, we're in a, we're in a, in a situation where we have the, I had a Tibetan Lama or Tibetan Vajra master for a teacher whom I met in 1973 after spending 12 years reading about Buddhism. And then I had a, a Zen teacher, Zen master, whom I met in 1990. So we have kind of a uh, hybrid situation, I guess you'd call it. The teaching, the way I talk about it, is receive, sit down, hold still, 
observe, uh, gaze at the wall and and receive whatever shows up in the mind stream. Positive thoughts, negative thoughts, critical thoughts, judgments of others, judgments of yourself, strategies to do this or to do that or figure something out. All of this production, production, production. <clears throat> need to receive all of that production without stopping it, without validating it, without doing anything to it. It is an, an awareness practice. doesn't matter what you're aware of, but what you are aware of is a good thought, bad thought, whatever. Receive it. And then rather than produce more thoughts uh, about this or about that or make a lot of plans or strategies, as I said previously, produce the vow. Remember the vow to be with all things. This is a powerful vow. A couple of ways this is stated is, I vow to be with all things. I vow to do good. I vow to not do harm. And you can mix that up in all kinds of different ways. And then the other one that is said quite often is to, I vow to save all beings. I vow to put, excuse me, I vow to put others before myself. That's very difficult to do. And if you actually are doing that, you may not particularly feel like it. You might not feel like you're getting some kind of a credit. You may get tangled up in wanting other people to wanting other people to acknowledge that you're a helpful person rather than actually be helpful or be supportive to others. So in ancient times, there were, there were stronger forms. Countries where Buddhism goes back hundreds of years, if not thousands, and there are various practices, doing prostrations, doing, uh, there's something called a sevenfold Mahayana Puja. Puja means practice, and uh, I don't even remember them, but one of them is prostration, one, uh, then they're offering of, uh, <coughs> offerings of, uh, uh, to an altar for their images of the Buddha just some way of using some kind of a form to help you or me or any of us to return and return and return because it's a, it's not the mundane path of results. So when you do this, you won't necessarily, there isn't some kind of particular payoff to it. I'm not saying there wouldn't be some sit and face the wall for several hours a day. Well, pardon me. Eventually, you probably will calm down if you do the, especially this practice, but also other practices like Shine and Laktang, Shamatha Vipassana, um, resting in tranquility. Those also calm can be uh, kind of calming also. And I'm not here to find out which practice is the best, that, but you should find out. So when I say produce the vow, I'm referring to a kind of production, we all want to produce something, that might be a good thing to produce, and that vow might be towards, might be more towards an individual, might be towards your teacher, might be towards the, your understanding of the precepts, it might be just simply trying to be with all things, trying to, no more objecting to anything, no more agreeing with anything, and no more ignoring anything. You can start with your own mind stream. And that if you do start with your own mind stream, that same attitude of receiving starts to show up everywhere. So you produce the, the vow to be there, and then what you will notice that whatever shows up, wherever you have vowed to be, 
You won't disagree with it. You won't object to it. You won't agree with it. And you certainly won't ignore it. And if you do nothing with whatever's happening in front of you in your living room, in your kitchen table, uh, in your neighbor's uh, across the back fence with your neighbor or with someone in your workspace, you don't do anything with it, it becomes much more clear what is actually going on in any given situation. Not from the point of view of right or wrong, but from the understanding of the, of the, of the logistics or the mechanics of what is actually happening, you begin to see what? Other people's suffering. Someone that doesn't even know they're suffering because they're, they cover it up so much with their blaming or with their opinions, their ideas, their logarithms of this or that, just, just prejudice. Someone is prejudiced, they really don't know they are. They know they are, then they aren't exactly prejudiced. They might be aware that they're shut down in some areas. Someone's actually prejudiced is not necessarily aware of it. They might even say, well, some of my best friends are those guys. And I was raised by some people that my mother and my stepfather that talked that way. Not particularly comfortable even when you're 10 years old to hear that. So produce, you may, you may need to actually do prostrations to an altar in a very formal situation. I would leave that up to you. I wouldn't say do that. Anybody that is talking to me that considers themselves a student of mine, we, we do it mutually. We talk about it. What, what, what would be helpful to you? And sometimes it's just uh, might not be anything more than just bowing to an altar and sitting down. Might not even be bowing to an altar. It might be bowing to the wall and sitting down. That's up to you. How much do you need? I just like with, uh, what was your name again? Huh? Kodo? No, Kodo. Actually, it's pronounced Kodo. Isn't that right, Mason? I mean, Takudo. Another kind of path. No. Path. So different with each uh, person, and especially, as I said earlier, in our society, this is, this is this particular practice that we're doing here. This isn't supported by anything other than you and the people that are here. We don't, we don't have a cultural situation where, uh, where everyone, well, all the six or 700 families are all supporting this monastery. In the Tibetan tradition, uh, it's kind of understood, and I don't know what it was like in ancient times, hundreds of years ago. It's uh, kind of understood if you're studying in that tradition, then you may do 100,000 prostrations at the same time reciting the, the name uh, or using the, the refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, refuge in the Sangha, and refuge in the teacher or the guru. You might say that over and over and over again and prostration and toning the prostrations on a mala. There's, there's several other, those are called nundra practices or foundation practices where you do those, then you do 100,000 uh, 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 Vajrasattva mantras, and then you do 100,000 offerings to the mandala by cr actually creating the universe with hand handful of uh, rice. And you, know, you go through a whole repetition every time you create everything, and as soon as you create it, then you offer it, saying... Uh, various uh, incantations, I guess you call it, uh, offering everything. So you create it and then you offer it. You create it, you offer it. Creation, completion, creation, completion. 
this also happens with the guru yoga where you uh, depends on the lineage depends on the teacher you do a million count them count them on a mala offering offering so you're producing 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 along with all of the other you know, complicated and uh, not only mantras but just the liturgy itself is quite involved sometimes taking hours and hours to to do that you can't just cram it into 15 minutes at least not the one that i was practicing in the uh, kagyu tradition under Chungpa Rinpoche. very time consuming stuff and there's you no know, guarantee that just because you do all of that, that you're going to attain realization or enlightenment. You might just fill up your time with a lot of activity. So you might have to look at your, if you're serious about this and sincere and want to practice this awareness practice, you might have to understand what, what do you personally need to do rather, rather than one size fits all. That's not going to work. You need to decide. Take some questions around that might be good to if you have questions, please ask. I'll try to respond in a helpful way. How does a student see for themselves what they need to do and what they don't? Well, there again, it's, it varies. Depends on who it is, what they're doing, uh, maybe even how old they are, um, how much practice they, they're currently doing, sitting meditation. There's just so many variables there. I would say it's be individual. I think it's important to have a teacher. I'm not here to promote myself, but I'm saying it might be necessary to have someone that you have some confidence in that can help you. If someone's functioning as a student, should that, whatever they need to do, always happen mutually with the teacher? I think more so in our culture, maybe than... Uh, say in ancient Japan or China or India, someplace where there was a strong cultural support, maybe not right at first, the first few hundred years, but eventually it became, became very strong and the, the forms and the, and the traditions were very powerful. And you just did what you were told. Whereas in, in our culture, it's much different, quite a bit different. We have people are extremely knowledgeable about so many things. Right now, you can go on Wikipedia and ask just about any kind of a question, and it's going to give you, it may not be the correct response, but you can, you can find out anything, basically, at least some kind of information about, uh, say, for instance, asking about Buddhism or the Buddhist path or how that shows up, even though the, in the Tibetan lineages, a lot, of, a lot of that is considered to be secret. Secret teachings, they don't tell everyone what it is, but everything is available. But then it kind of warns you, don't practice da-da-da-da-da and do this, do this, do this, and it'll tell you the whole thing. But don't do that without the guidance of a Lama. It's like, here's how it's done. Here's what you do. But you need to have a Lama tell you about it. So I'm not sure what, what they're up to there, basically. Probably some kind of magnetizing you into it and also letting you know that you won't be able to practice this without having the imprimatur or the, the uh, abhisheka of the, giving you permission to do this particular tantric practice, including a nundra practice or the, the preliminary practice. Anubhan, if you have a daily practice, can it become 
too habitual? What do you look for in terms of too habitual? You do it every day, month after month, year after year. Is there? You're asking if there's a downside to that. Well, there could be. There again, it's situational and it's individual, but. Uh, repetitive it's necessary to repeat this kind of a practice the awareness practice studying the dharma discussing the dharma with with uh, sangha with community um, interacting with the teacher as much as is possible i mean everything else is distracting us as soon as you watch television or tune into any of the news channels or any of the insanity that's going on all over the world um, pretty crazy Divine. So if you're saying the vows every day, and sometimes it's meaningless, sometimes it's meaningful, sometimes it's difficult to get to to do that, to do it. It's called practice. Sometimes it goes along, and sometimes you get going, and then other times it's disappointing, or you don't feel so good about it. Did you have something around that since you suggested the talk title? Based you, on something I said. Right? Are you vowing? Um, yeah, I, I, I thought I had it from a previous talk, but it must have been a book study or something. That, right. That what caught my attention was you want to produce something, produce the vow every day. And is producing in that way something that we can conjure up? Um, Seems like it. Just a matter of just do it, rather than because it's not it's not a mundane path of doing something so you get something. It's it's a spiritual path of, of doing something because it, because it is the intention, the intention to do this, the intention to see what this is. So we have a form which is sitting practice of meditation, and we have a some. Um, Reference points like an altar, an image of uh, someone who sat still and saw what saw the truth and began to teach. It became a, a, a spiritual path, and you can say, you know, sometimes they say, "Well, Buddhism really isn't a religion." Well, it's you might say it's a spiritual path, but it's not the way theistic religions have some kind of a goal, some kind of promise. Buddhism also has a goal is to see the truth, to see what is fundamentally true, to become aware, become enlightened. So there's a lot of teachings like that. But your personal path to that is, is just that. It's very it's not just believing in things, it's doing it with your mind. Not easy to do that. But you might need to produce some kind of a structure. You might need to have a place to sit. You might have, you might produce something in the sense of getting your lazy butt over to the cushion and watch what is happening with your mind. Instead of, I can't do this right now, I need to go to the post office. I need to do this, I need to do that. We all know what that's like. If you, if you do any kind of meditation practice at all, it's much easier just to do other stuff and then put that off till later. But so you say that you met your teacher Chogyam Trungpa only four times. 
Yeah. I had four face-to-face -face interviews with him, maybe 15, 20 minutes. So what was it about what he said to you that had you um, continue the practice even without seeing him every day or even every year? I don't know if I can explain it other than uh, meeting him uh, helped me see that there was a possibility of working with my own personal insanity in such a way that maybe I could understand it more deeply, maybe overcome it, but at least get some kind of clarity around it. Just reading uh, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism very much magnetized me into studying with him. Driving to finding out where he was and driving to Chicago to meet him. And you sometimes say that you're you're lazy. I am. But you're also stubborn. So did was it the stubbornness that became maybe the maybe the motivation to keep going? I think something like that. So how can you be? Lazy, but stubborn. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't feel like doing stuff, but I do it anyway. So I'm lazy because I don't feel like doing it. And I want to do it. If I can get out of it, I will. But I couldn't get out of that. It's like, uh, uh, it's very much reminds me of what uh, uh, Suzuki Roshi says in his book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. If somebody's watching you, you can hide from them. If nobody's watching you, you can't hide from yourself. Uh, just something about the sitting practice of meditation, uh, the awareness is able to see more clearly what is happening in the mind stream in terms of um, being habituated to certain kinds of patterns that you could call laziness. So in terms of Producing the vow, if, if we're experiencing negative emotions that seem to uh, have really consumed us, is that a time to produce the vow? Maybe. Maybe a time to just watch, just observe how the emotions are dragging you this way or that way, or, or how you're shutting down because you don't want to feel like that. And it also may be a time where you go and and do sitting practice, um, observing uh, the wall, just receiving what shows up when you look at a wall, nothing's happening. The mind stream continues to rotate more than likely. So watching that to see the nature of the way the mind shuts down through aggression or shuts down through uh, thinking or elaborating or passion or shuts down through just blocking out or distracting yourself from something else. Observing that, observing that. You, you do prostrations. What does that feel like to you? It varies. Okay. Um, it feels like an offering. Other times it feels like a habit. What's the difference? Between I don't know if there is one. Ascension. Ascension. Is stubbornness necessary to awaken? I don't know, uh, you know, I, I would say that necessarily. I'm saying that's what, uh, that's what I seem to have that kind of a quality of stubbornness and planting my feet, getting tired of, of being lazy, or being, of not being able to 
go in and do something that I'm not getting any results from. But I've been told by my teacher I should do it anyway. So I just do it anyway. It's been going on for a long time. Other people uh, may operate in a, in a different way. They may be, that may be not so much stubbornness, but just uh, the intention to return to the vow, return to the vow, return to, return, return to that, return to the vow to be with all things. No more warfare. Even though warfare comes up, just return to that vow. I vow to be with all things. I received a vow. I'm observing the vow, a vow to be with all things. And I'm going to do that, even though right now it doesn't look like I'm doing so good. That may arise. You might be taking some kind of inventory in yourself where you don't feel like you're living up to that vow. You're not keeping the vow. So all kinds of things like that can occur. The, the, let me put it this way. The problem with a true spiritual path. I'm happy to talk about this more if you have more questions is there's no result and there's no, it goes, you actually begin to transcend the relative truth as you practice. That doesn't mean you switch into some other kind of gear where suddenly you're uh, kind of crazy. You're doing things with no understanding about what cliff you're about to jump off from. It just means that you, you, you have begun to understand the, the relative truth is only true relatively. And who you are goes way beyond that. Your actual identity is, it's been said lots of different ways. The one that I often say is, your identity is like the sky. It doesn't come or go. But everything that go, comes and goes in it, the clouds, those are the ones that, that make it look like we have some kind of relative value or lack value or we're getting somewhere or we're not getting somewhere. The sky doesn't do anything. It just receives clouds. But it's done with the awareness rather than with the thinking process, which is kind of attached and hooked on right and wrong. Success and failure. Yes. Shoto bowing. How does producing the vow um, help with our fixation on the clouds in the sky? Bowing. I think it simplifies it so that you just return to that vow and you may prostrate, you may, you may bow, you may just offer incense to an altar for their reminders of the Buddha's teaching, like an image of the Buddha. So as you know, we don't worship this. This is a reminder of what we're here to do. It's a reminder of the teachings that goes back 2,500 years, just like the, the Kachamyaku that uh, was given to, uh, what's your name again? No. Huh? Well, yeah. Pretty good memory. I really couldn't remember what I named him. Can you believe that? Why are you so quick to shake your head yes? Of course I remember. What does it mean? Ancient path. <clears throat> what was I going to say? So we need some kind of a touchstone. We need, and it's, you get it, you can get it from the teacher, your name. Or you can get it uh, from the Kechimaku or the bloodline if you open that up, which uh, Kodo has a, 
a bloodline that has the, the Dharma names in, the, in this lineage going back to the time of the Buddha. And sometimes I say, we don't know if exactly that's exactly that person at this time, but it doesn't matter. It's just the idea of lineage. We come as close as we can with individual names through the Indian tradition, through the Japanese, the Chinese tradition, and the Japanese tradition up to here we are in the West in the United States. And so it's just a way of, of uh, acknowledging the form and acknowledging the lineage, acknowledge, acknowledging the ancestors that have been connected with the Buddha and have been teaching this uh, cumulative tradition, not a revealed uh, tradition as it is with uh, some theistic paths where some great being has come down and helped us out. The Buddha was a man who understood something and shared it with others, taught others. So. In producing the vow be something relative, like just giving a Sangha member a hand with something? No. Somewhat. But it, it seems to be just like uh, walking in the woods could be very meditative, but it's not It's not shikantaza. You might have to have an actual form where you do that, or you bow before uh, an altar. I'm not saying you have to do 100,000 prostrations necessarily, but some kind of offering seems necessary to give something, to produce something. I'm going to do this. I'm going to practice this no matter what. I'm not going to be stopped by anything, including the lack of so-called relative success. It's difficult because we, we want results. We spend a lot of time meditating, a lot of time in retreat, studying the Dharma. We want some some kind of result. Yes. Um, living here, we do the chants every morning. Yeah. Are the prostrations, the incense, and uh, the chants that we do, is that already included in that vow? Or is that um, producing yeah. the vow? That's why we do it, so that you you can come in and just if you live at this monastery, and uh, then you are involved in all the, all of those um, both forms where we're producing producing the sutras, chanting the sutra. You can do that on your own, or not. How many how many hours do we spend chanting if you live here? Anybody ever added it up? Quite a bit. But it's not all day long. It's quite a bit. Not too long ago, for a, uh, in the memorial service for a, a Coben, twenty year who passed away twenty years ago, we did a, we chanted I think eleven straight hours. What is that about? It's producing, producing just an acknowledgement of. Uh, it certainly was a, an acknowledgement for me of how powerful his teaching was for me. His teaching was very simple for me. All he did was basically point out uh, my my uh, self deception. It took me a long time to see what he was pointing. At. Over a decade, be really clear on it, and that all the time I was practicing, I was after I met him, I spent a lot of time uh, meditating, 
and trying to understand what it was I was missing and what my relationship to him was for a long time. Did Colvin or Twiggum Trump or Rep. J have that quality of stubbornness? I don't know. I didn't know them personally that well. Um, if either one of them, maybe um, Trump or Rep. J might have had that quality, and I don't know about Colvin. Takado, do you think Colvin was stubborn? It's more like a feather, but uh, as I image I've used before, he's a feather that could turn into a sword in a moment. But it was situational. He didn't run around acting all full of himself. Talking about how much we spend time chanting and producing sometimes, if situationally we're doing, we feel like we're doing more of that than getting to the cushion, can there be an imbalance the other way? Probably. That would be your situation. You could talk to the teacher, you could talk to uh, the people in the Sangha, you're practicing. You're not living in the monastery, but you're here every day, just about as far as I know. Situation. The most important of the practices, and the one that's very difficult to do for any length of time, is Shikantaza, sitting meditation, because it's just a formless practice. There's not much of a support there. The only really support is just sitting, holding still, and just your body awareness, just being there and being present, and then watching the discursive mind go this way and go that way without doing anything with it. I'm feeling a little weak. Does it look like it? But I don't have to leave, so you can help me out by asking questions if you want. You want to continue if you don't we can we can close but ask questions and i i'll get all the energy i need to respond yes sure i'm curious about that area of stubbornness it seems like with listening to you that what are ways that that producing the vow can show up that May look like something other than stubbornness. I don't know. Thank you for the question, but I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm not sure how I can respond. I'm not sure what 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 is it you want to know. Where is the? I mean, I know you just asked me the question, so obviously you'd like a response to that. But is there something more that you can say about it? Are there other qualities besides stubbornness that? Persistence, a sincerity, just wanting to see what is true yourself and having, uh, in my case, having a teacher tell me in the midst of all my fear and difficulty, telling me I can do this, I can see it, I can do it. And having somebody that you had a great deal of respect and admiration for because of his ability to just you just read Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. That book was incredibly powerful to me uh, in 1973 when I first read it. 
just realizing that somebody really understands through the Buddhist teaching how the mind works. Because I could see that what he was describing was the way my mind was working in terms of the three poisons and the, all of the all of the teachings in that amazing book. Anybody on Zoom have a question? Kevin Bowing. Yes, Kevin. In the repetitiveness of forms, I'm thinking particularly when we were doing the chanting for Coben's Para Nirvana, there would be periods where I felt intense squirreliness and uh, wanting to jump out of my skin. What is it about the form that can create that kind of squirreliness bowing? Probably just the repetition of it, saying uh, the ego mind, the self-centered mind wants some kind of entertainment or something that seems valuable or um, something. And when we just take something and just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, then we're tying up the whole construct that we would call body, speech, and mind into a form. And if you say something over and over and over and over again, the mind that is able to daydream might still be able to daydream, but it's not quite as comfortable because it's tied to that, whatever that mantra or that, uh, uh, in that case, it was, uh, I think it was the Heart Sutra in uh, Japanese and in English, and also the Daishin Dharani, also the, a lot of uh, Japanese words that, even though they're interesting, after a while they become, uh, can become uh, uh, tedious somewhat, possibly. And so it's just a matter of continuing to repeat that. It's kind of, it's, it's like we're actually being shown that we're looking for entertainment. We're not getting it. We're getting some kind of tedium. Uh, but that has to do with the consciousness, not not to do with the, the mantra itself. Or, or the, for that matter, the meaning of the words. I'm sorry, I can't read. The, there's a question there, but I can't can't read it from where I'm at. Kevin Bowing, uh, Balak says the repetitive practice that you were talking about seems to be counter to form. The great treatise, the view or method of the Ho Shang, this is a reference to the opinion that all effort, all mental activity and discursive intellection and all conceptualization indeed anything that is not entirely natural and spontaneous is nothing but an obstacle to spiritual understanding would you comment your take on that i don't comment on uh, or have takes on anything i appreciate your comments but i i work from questions uh, i understand what you're saying there it sounds like you have a pretty profound and conceptual understanding of that, but I'm not that smart. So if you want to take what you're asking and give me a straightforward question, I will respond to it. Can you do that? I think he's typing something in. We'll see. <laughs> Looks like it. The okay. Question, Kevin Bowing is thinking bad when trying to meditate, Bowing. No, you can't meditate unless you think. Because if you stop thinking, then you're not meditating. You're in some kind of a of a neutral state. There's some kind of a 
state where you're either sound asleep or you're uh, you're isolating yourself in terms of your consciousness. There's a lot of discussion and a lot of controversy and so on about the jhana states. And I'm not here to go for right and wrong, but I am saying that you need to observe my, my experience. I have a little bit of experience uh, is you need to watch the thoughts come and go, watch the thoughts come and go. So eventually you see that there's no one producing those. There's no way you can think or I can think. Everything is dependently risen. Like, I can't say what I'm saying right now unless you've said something and asked something. So it's dependently risen. As I'm not being particularly simplistic about it, although it may look like that. We, it's not, and it's also not that you can't do something totally on your own, write poetry or write prose or create music. Of course you can, but it's still dependent on everything that's happened to you in this life and probably even other lives. So you don't have to stop thinking or change it or change gears to do anything else. You need to do it with the awareness. There may be a lot of thinking and your particular style or mine or anyone else's may not be very much thinking. I, I sometimes say I don't think very much. I think some, but not as much as I did a few years ago. Okay, another comment from Balak. Could someone read, Kevin? Kevin Bowing. Balak says, indeed, meditation is the empty state. Yes, you write, but I meditate to emptiness. Okay, well, that's whatever you, whatever works for you. I'm not here to change anybody's uh, approach to it or convince you that you should do something other than what you're already doing. That would be up to you. Yes, sir. What does a question open up for you that a request for a comment doesn't? Well, the request for a comment is, it needs to be a question so that I can respond to the question. If it's a request for a comment, then we're, it's more like a conversation. And I, I might have conversations, but I'm not going to have them up here. Just, I have to function this way. And uh, I have to function this way, but you don't have to be here. Well, in your case, you might have to. If you made a commitment to do it, but you, there's no, there's no requirement. So, you follow me a little bit. I'm functioning as, as a Dharma teacher, I'm not functioning as someone that sits around at the kitchen table and discusses the Dharma. I don't do much of that anymore. I did it one time, years ago. Good question. More about that. John Bowie? Yes. I have a question about just to pertaining to today's ceremony. Uh, yes. What is the purpose of ordination? Okay, as, as, thank you. So as I understand it, it's a, uh, we, we're inspired possibly by a, a teacher or by something that Buddha said or something that Wayne Ng said or Dogen said or Vasubandha or any other teacher or teaching or, uh, and teachings that where we don't even know the author like the Prajnaparamita literature which is quite extensive. Uh, we, we listen and we hear something. We hear someone say something. Uh, could be the Buddha, could be a lineage holder from another uh, a thousand years later. And we're inspired by that. And then we might meet a, a teacher or begin to meditate under the guidance of this person or that person. Maybe they're a teacher, maybe they're not. Maybe we read a book on it. These days there's 
all kinds of instructions. And then if we feel a strong connection, especially to a teacher or to a particular lineage, then we might find, see how difficult it is to, to pursue or to, to work on that. And there's not a lot of results forthcoming on the spiritual path. This is the book uh, that my teacher, uh, Compilation of His, talks cutting through spiritual materialism. What is spiritual materialism? It's using spiritual techniques, ideas, and uh, practices to uh, get somewhere, to get uh, accomplish something or uh, function in a materialistic way as if it were something you can accomplish in that way. And so the cutting through part is to see see the truth there, to do it with the, with the awareness. So coming back to your question, uh, it's very difficult to do that. So one of the structures been, that has been set up since the time of the Buddha and even before is uh, to, to study under a teacher, you might receive vows. The, the vow in Buddhism is refuge in the Buddha. You, you, you leave or you go away from the mundane idea of getting somewhere, accomplishing the eight worldly dharmas, and you change, change gears over to seeing what this is. What is, what is fundamentally happening with the guidance of the Buddha, who's no longer at war with anything, the, and the, the support of what he taught. Everything is dependent and arisen. Nothing comes from its own side as an individual situation or thing or entity or being or dynamic. And refuge in the Sangha are the community of people, as we have here, who are endeavoring to study under a particular teacher uh, some aspect or several aspects of the Buddha's Dharma as that teacher understands it based on probably working on it for a long time. So the idea was a, with a vow is you, you tie yourself to the teacher, you tie yourself to the Buddha's Dharma, you refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the uh, Dharma, refuge in the Sangha, and then the 16 precepts, which you can, you can see uh, online on our website. They're available there. You can see um, um, a vow to do good, a vow not to do harm, and a vow to be with all things, which is basically uh, the, the Bodhisattva vow, and then the t uh, 10 prohibitory precepts, which are like, uh, which are meant to be observed, not obeyed. So you do this formally, uh, under, a, with a preceptor. And then you just like, did you see the ceremony, John? No. So the ceremony is very simple, very direct, straightforward. And uh, the person, if someone asks me for a Jukai or lay precepts, not full ordination as a monk, but then I, uh, depends on who they are. I might say, okay, you've thought about, thought about this for a while. In this case, uh, um, uh, Kodo had thought about this for, what, 20 years? Yeah, thought about it for a long time. He's never mentioned precepts to me until about, what, several months ago? Yeah, and said, I think it might, it might be a good idea if I received vows from you. And I said, and I think I said something like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, we've known each other longer than, well, not longer than Uno and I, but longer than just everybody here, other than maybe Mason <laughs> or Takudo, I should say, which is his Dharma name. So it's, it's uh, the image I use, it's like glue. So you, you, you've, you might think about it yourself for a few years, which you're, you're invited to study the precepts and see 
And if, if I never hear from you again, then I assume you probably don't want to do that. But if you come back and say, I think I think I really need to do this. I want to do this. So, and everyone is so different. I've had people sew a whole Roxu like this under the guidance of uh, uh, either Unyo or Shoka or other sewing teacher. And uh, and then get right down to the end and just they can't do it. And the next thing we have is a, a Roxu that's blank. There's no name written on it. And, they, and it just sits on a shelf somewhere. Not very often, because um, usually if they're unsure of themselves, it just won't happen. But it's a way of uh, it's a way of uh, you know, receiving this vow to you're 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 vowing to attain uh, uh, realization of a Buddha. And this may or may not occur, but it's not about whether it occurs or not. It's about the intention. It's about the vow. Further question, John? No, thank you, Bowie. Yes, sir. Is there a final question? I don't want a final question from you. Oh, Michelle Bowen. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Wait a minute. I'll tell you what, Michelle. I'll respond to Shota first because this is going to be a snap. I can respond to his with no. But yours are a lot more convoluted and circular. So, Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it, that's actually a compliment. Yeah, and I don't compliment very much, but you have a compliment. Go ahead, Shoto. Shoto bowing. Um, the earlier question was bringing up for me. I think it was Bodhidharma responded once, saying that the the mind essentially was empty and serene. I'm wondering if that's different than a mind without thoughts. Bowing. So I don't really say so much about a mind without thoughts i just say that the you don't believe the thoughts so that doesn't if you don't believe them you don't disbelieve them and you don't ignore them it doesn't matter if you're thinking or not there isn't anyone that thinks anyway there's no thinker so the thoughts come along and might try to capture some aspect of consciousness that uh, and it's not that it doesn't have some success but not much but so can we have an empty mind that's full of thoughts no it's just like uh, Netflix is full of empty stuff, but we watch it. Why do we do that? All of that is invented. Oh, you don't watch Netflix? You do, yeah. But, but it's just, it's all made up. But we're quite fascinated by that when somebody makes up a bunch of stuff and then somebody else comes along and acts that out. Or we're just fascinated by it. I know I am. I love movies. Okay, Michelle, you're on. Uh, Michelle Bowen, do you rely on a vow? Do you? Yes. Yes. At the risk of sounding uh, uh, um, pompous. I don't really care if I sound pompous. I, I am that vow. I don't rely on anything. I am that vow. I'd be dead if I lived any other way than this vow. When I say I am, I'm not saying there's some kind of weird hocus pocus going on. I, 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 I couldn't live without it. I wouldn't live. I won't live without it. But it's not a fancy kind of a, of a glowing, wonderful, I'm so dedicated to saving all beings. I'm also dedicated to knocking you on your ass if that's what's necessary in order for me to do what? What you've asked me to do is train your mind, help you train your mind. 
Have I hit anybody yet? Have I? No. So far, I haven't had to hit anybody. Scary enough as it is. What I'm saying by that is I'm not going to hurt anybody or hit anybody. Of course not. I'm not, I'm not in ancient India or Tibet, so I'm not going to do that. But I'm saying sometimes it can be, get difficult when you're relating to somebody who is who you've asked to function as your teacher, and yet you're only willing to accept some of what that person says. Probably is not your teacher. If you if you're picking and choosing what what the teacher is uh, pointing at and feeling like um, some of what the teacher says is pretty good, but the rest of the stuff is uh, something you, you don't you know you kind of disagree with it. Further question, Michelle? You did answer it. Thank you. Welcome. Okay, uh, I see Pauchan's got his head shaking like, yeah, so he's he's kind of giving me the go ahead to close up shop. <laughs> <laughs> I can almost tell what time it is by looking at Pauchan. <laughs> 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 well, you don't need to. Yeah. Anybody from Australia, they don't have watches. Okay, we can hate the American the more important things. Hi, this is Chiazan, the prior at Sokokoji Buddhist Monastery. Sokazan offers these talks without expecting anything in return. If you value these talks and would like them to continue, please visit our donate page at www.sokukoji.org. Thank you.